Hello, welcome, welcome to church, guys. Thanks for being here. My name is Pastor John, and I am, uh, nobody calls me Pastor John. My name is John, and uh, and I'm a, I used to be in a band. Okay, um, welcome to church. Thank you for being here with us. If you, uh, um, if you are looking to get more connected, there are, there are cards in the seats in front of you you can use. You can fill those out, and there's drop boxes on each end of the hallway that you can use uh, to, drop, to drop those off, and then we will get in touch with you. Um, we are glad that you're here with us. We gather on Sunday mornings to turn our attention towards Jesus, to kind of reset our focus as we go into our week, and to be better equipped to live out God's will for our lives in our day-to-day life, Monday through Saturday. So that's why we gather together, and we are glad that you have joined us. I want to tell you about my life bridge. My life bridge is a great way to stay connected with what's happening here at church, events, devotional, um, all that stuff that we put out. Um, our devotional happens every day, things that are coming up, um, giving online, sort of those normal things that if you're part of church that you want to you want to get to quickly, those are all at my life bridge. So mylifebridge.church to check that out. Okay, giving. First of all, I want to say thank you for supporting our mission. Thank you so much to those of you who have faithfully supported our mission over, over this last year and, and, and even before that. If this is your home church, we ask that you be a part of our mission um, through, through financial support and through your giving. That can be done online uh, through our website, through my LifeBridge. Uh, it can be done on Venmo. And uh, there are giving boxes on each end of the hallway that you can use as well. We had an update video that rolled uh, last week in church because I was out uh, with uh, my family had COVID. We are free and clear of, of that now. Thank you for your prayers and for your gifts that you dropped off at our at our at our house. That was that was really kind of you. So thank you so much. But there was a but there was a video that uh, too soon back there. There was a video. Oh no, we both did it. There was a video that we ran uh, last week, and I was talking about kind of where we're at financially, and um, and and we've set a goal for the month of December to raise a hundred thousand dollars towards uh, towards our budget. This is actually the first year, as I shared in the video, it's unique for us. This is the first year that we entered the month in December um, actually behind budget and giving in the life of our church. Now, our budget has gone up over the years, so, so that's not to say that, um, that we haven't given more, but, but this is the first year that we've been kind of behind our goal there, and we really need to ask everyone to be a part of, of, um, of helping us hit our goal this year because what we want to do is we want to continue looking forward at, at the vision that we, we believe God has for our church things that we're very excited about in terms of discipleship, in terms of reaching our community, in terms of, um, I talked last week about the Halu House, and I'll talk about them again next week in more detail. Um, the, the Halu House is kind of our big partnership push in South Africa. So we've got a lot of big financial goals, and, and we, need, we need everybody to get involved to, to get us kind of over the hump this year. So as I said, our goal for the month of December is $100,000. That's a pretty big lift for a church of our size. Um, but we believe that, uh, that we're, we're going to get there, and we're asking you guys to be a part of it. So next week, I will give a more detailed update on that front, and I'll give you guys an update on where we're at in terms of uh, hitting that goal. And so, but I'd ask you guys to get involved, and if you have any questions, please, please uh, let me know. Reach out. Uh, shoot me an email or grab me after church. I'd be happy to chat through it and send you any information you, you're looking for in terms of our budget and, and those things. So with that, um, my last announcement is that, that on Christmas Eve, which is December 24th this year, as it is every, every year. Um, we have a family service. We have two at 4 and 5 o'clock. 
So you pick one of those services and come. It's probably about 45 minutes. Bring the kids and, uh, and just come sing carols. And, uh, and Pastor John will be giving a short, yeah, talk. Um, that's a joke. He always is. He's, he's, he's always buttoned up on Christmas Eve. So we can, all, we, can, we can get to our family stuff and all that. So we do a four and a five. So come and uh, please join us, sing carols. And it's just a, a great time together with our church family before we go celebrate, uh, celebrate Christmas. So, so make sure you, you know about, about Christmas Eve and, and come and join us for that as well. With that, I want to give a, a warm welcome to uh, to a guy who, um, to a guy who's who's actually very good at basketball. Although last time we played basketball together, what happened? Do you remember what happened? I don't. Refresh well, my memory. So uh, it's it's a, just X's and O's a little bit. It's, it's pick and roll. A, apparently a big I'm, moment for you. I'm coming around. Yeah, so this is the highlight <laughs> of my career, not his. But he was the help defender against me. And where did I pass the ball to my teammate? Where did, did the go, ball go? Did you go through the legs? Through your legs. Impressive. To my teammate Craig. Impressive. And then they missed the layup. So please <laughs> yeah, welcome Pastor John Adams. Well, they missed the layup. That's why I don't remember. <laughs> I do remember you trying to end the game on a three where I switched on to him and, yeah, he stepped back three, moving to his left. It didn't go. But <laughs> uh, speaking of basketball, I uh, did just start coaching my kids' basketball teams this year. And yesterday... We had two practices, so my voice, like second service, it might be getting a little, a little uh, coarse. So that's the case. That's why I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna have to like develop my coach voice, where you just like yell at kids in the gym for two hours. And it's not like yelling at them. It's like go here, do this, do that. It's just loud, and they're all dribbling basketballs, so it gets a little crazy. <clears throat> so might be losing my voice, but we'll figure this out. Um, all right, our. our Advent series. Let's pray first, and then we'll get into our into the sermon. Lord, we just praise you. We glorify your name. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy to us. And Lord, we come, we gather here to praise you, to worship you in community with one another, with one voice, Lord, to give you glory. So, Lord, be honored and glorified in our praise. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, our... Our new uh, series, our Advent series, leading up into Christmas, we're calling it Good News of Great Joy. Um, This is one of the ways that the angels, when they announce it to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2, which we'll come to next week, this is what they say about the birth of Jesus, that it is good news that will cause great joy and be for all the people. So we'll unpack that a little bit more next week and on Christmas Eve, which Christmas Eve will be short because the kids are in here. Guaranteed, it will be short. I can't focus when the kids are in here because they're like talking back to me. I'm talking to them. So we keep it short and sweet. Um, But the kids aren't in here today. So buckle up. It's going to be a while. I'm kidding. Kidding. Um, (laughs) So the angels announced the birth of Jesus as good news that will cause great joy and be for all the people. Uh, This is uh, just a beautiful picture of the gospel and what the good news of the gospel is, which gospel means good news, right? In our current cultural climate, I think if we're honest with ourselves, what we we tend to do is allow ourselves to kind of be drawn to the bad news that is... uh, it's the opposite of that announcement to the angels. It's bad news that causes anger and isn't, is for our people and not for others, right? And it causes us to polarize and to hate and look at other people 
and uh, view them as other than, right? So this Christmas season, what we're going to do is just focus on the good news, the best news of Jesus that is bringing joy, and it is for all people. It's a matter of just shifting our focus, right? There's a lot of bad news in the world, and as I said, what we tend to do is be drawn to that. We tend to allow ourselves to be drawn to that because it's addicting, that feeling of anger, that fear. It's addicting to us to be drawn to that. That gets clicks way more than good news does, tends to, right? If you guys remember, was it last year, a couple years ago, John, John Krasinski, who's Jim from The Office, probably how you know him, he did this little like YouTube series called Some Good News that was wildly popular because like in the midst of all this bad news, I think we are craving, desiring good news. It's just we have to intentionally put our minds on it. So... We have to think on the good news this Christmas season, and as Christians, we have the best news of Jesus and his birth. So we're going to talk about why the message of Jesus and his birth is the best news. And we're looking at Luke chapter 1, and we're going to go into Luke chapter 2 next week. So last week we looked at Mary and the announcement of Jesus' birth to her, or the miraculous conception of Jesus, um, and her song that she goes into. Today we're looking at Zechariah's song when he is filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesies. And he, another spontaneous song. I'm going to keep saying this until it actually happens, that, that we should live life like a musical. <laughs> like when things, good things happen, we just like spontaneously strike up into song. I love that idea. We're just like singing Christmas carols to each other out in the street. That'd be wonderful. Oh. We can all dream, right? That's my, that's my dream. <laughs> Let's make it a reality, people. I'm kidding. Okay. So Zechariah, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember, he was made mute after the announcement of the angel to him while he's in the temple performing his priestly duties. And the angel announces that his wife Elizabeth will conceive and have a child. And he's like, no way. He doesn't believe it because she is way beyond childbearing years and they haven't had any kids yet. So she, he doesn't believe it, and because of that, he is made mute. So he can't speak for the nine months of Elizabeth's pregnancy. And then when the baby is born and they ask, they go to name the child, typically what's, cult, what's culturally acceptable in this day and age, they would name him either after their father or after their, the child's grandfather, somebody in their family line. And uh, Elizabeth says, no, his name is going to be John. And all of the family relatives and neighbors, they're like, no, nobody else in your family has that name. We can't do that. And she says, no, we're going to name him John. They ask Zechariah. He writes it on a tablet because he can't speak. And he says his name is John. And then his tongue is set free and he can speak again after that. And the first words that come out of his mouth are praise to God. And likely these. Which I don't know about you, but... If if I was like made mute and not able to speak for nine months, think about that. Try to go a day without speaking. Like we, one of my seminary professors challenged us to do that, to just go a day without speaking. It was very hard. It's very hard for me. <laughs> I'm a talker. Some of you introverts are like, that sounds great. I would love that. Like, can nobody talk to me too? Uh, <laughs> for me, that was... That was a challenge. 
This dude went nine months without speaking, and the first words that come out of his mouth are praise. So I don't know about you, but I would have been like, God, what was that all about, right? Like, come on, man. Jeez. I would have had a lot of, yeah, I would have been upset. But he praises, and this is the praise that he gives to God. So we're going to walk through this, his song of praise, his prophecy of praise, and uh, just kind of draw out some of the main themes. We go through this in the devotional as well, so if I'm moving through it pretty quick and you're like, what? Follow along in the devotional, and hopefully it'll, it'll help clarify some things, and just hearing it again will probably help. So he says, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. So this is the basis of his entire prophecy. Everything that he says after this, it's all a reflection of praise to God. So that's the main idea. Praise God. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the rest of this, he's going to articulate and kind of tease out why God is worthy of praise. Because he has come to his people and redeemed them. So the ESV, other more formal translations, translate that visited. He has visited his people. And when someone who is steeped in Hebrew culture and understanding of the Old Testament hears uh, visitation and redemption in the same sentence, they think Exodus. Their mind immediately goes back to what God did in the Exodus and how he visited his people and then brought redemption to his people. Redemption, it just means, means deliverance from or uh, release or ransom paid, usually from slavery. So what Zechariah says is he's, he's hyperlinking to the Exodus, and then he says, what God is doing now through John the Baptist's birth and Jesus' birth is bringing a redemption far greater than even the Exodus. Which if, I, if you were to say that in the first century, people would look at you with like, bug, like what? Nothing has ever happened like that since the Exodus or before. This was their defining moment as a people. Moses was their prophet. The plagues, like miraculous, amazing displays of God's power, bringing the most powerful nation in the world to its knees and setting free a powerless people, all by the work of God. So this is all operating in the background as he's writing this or singing this in its original context. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. It says horn, it's not just like a, like a like a battle cry horn. It's like the horn of an ox is what he's thinking of, which it, it symbolizes power, strength. It's often used of kings. It's used of the Messiah at one place. He would be the horn of salvation. So the picture is of like an ox, which I grew up on a farm. Uh, my dad always told us like, don't go near the bulls, right? <laughs> because those things are powerful. They're like the definition of power in the ancient world because they're so stinking strong. They're huge. Have you ever like stood next to a bull? Nobody? A couple. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Think that, like power, strength, might. That's why talk about the horn of salvation. And this horn, this power is used for bringing salvation and deliverance, which again is, is broader, as Mary talked last week in her Magnificate, is broader than just spiritual salvation, as we're going to see here with Zechariah as well. certainly includes spiritual salvation and forgiveness of sins and right relationship with God, but it also includes like deliverance from enemies. 
There it is. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to redeem his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham. So he's just he's articulating praise to God because God has, uh, has now shown mercy and remembered his holy covenant that he swore to Abraham, which was to make Abraham into a great nation and that all the peoples of the earth would be blessed through him. Throughout the entire history and story of the Old Testament, it's the people of Israel longing, waiting for this promise to come to fulfillment. They're looking for it in all of these Old Testament heroes. So if you're reading the Old Testament on a macro scale, you're reading about Joseph, okay, and, and how he brought deliverance to the people of Egypt and to his family and to the surrounding region by saving them from famine. So this promise from God to Abraham is running in the background of your mind, thinking maybe it's Joseph. Maybe Joseph is the one. Come to find out it's not him, not yet, okay? Because the promise still continues and he wasn't the one. What about David? David might be the one. Finally, a king whom God has chosen. David's a great king. He's established this great kingdom for the people of Israel. But he's super flawed and he's not the one either. Daniel, maybe it's Daniel. The people are in exile. They're not, they, there is no kingdom to speak of. They're in Babylon. And Daniel has a vision where God basically gives him a picture of the Son of Man and essentially tells him, like, you're not, you're not the one. It's, it's going to be a while yet. Not yet. So throughout the entire history of the people of Israel, they've been waiting for this anointed one, the Messiah, whom God promised to be a blessing to all the people to come from the line of Abraham and the people of Israel, and he hasn't come yet. But now he's come in the person of Jesus. To rescue us from the hand of our enemies, take note of this, to enable us to serve him without fear. The reason that Zechariah gives for uh, the, the rescue that God will bring and the salvation that God will bring to his people isn't so that they will be free to be completely self-determined and do whatever they want whenever they want to. <laughs> no, it is so that they can serve him without fear because the oppressive... Uh, nation or government over them will not dictate what they can and cannot do. So as we talked about in our Reconstruct campaign, when we talked about freedom from and freedom to, we are free from sin and death and the law, and we are free to serve God and to serve others. There is no concept in the Christian mind of being completely self-determined to do whatever we want, whenever we want to. No, when we are free, Christ sets us free so that we can then obey him and serve him. And he goes on, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. This is one of those prophetic elements of this text that we can't, we, we're not in Zechariah's mind, so we don't quite know fully how much he understood this as he says it, but the holiness and the righteousness that the Messiah, that Jesus will bring is so much greater, grander than he could have ever even imagined. This righteousness that we have as followers of Christ is given us from Jesus. That it's not by us being holy and righteous and good that we are made right with God. Instead, it is through faith in Jesus. And when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, he imparts his righteousness to us. That is the gift and the grace of God. The 
Chuck Beckler were here, ask him next time. Okay, when Chuck comes next time, ask him, what is the free gift in Romans 5? And you will see him light up. He uh, gets he get really animated when he starts talking about this for good reason. Because the free gift that God gives us through Jesus is Jesus' righteousness in Romans 5. It is his righteousness imputed to us when we believe in Christ and put all of our trust in him as our Lord for our salvation. And so, if that's the case, our response should be praise. What else do we do but praise him? <laughs> when we see the gift that he has given us. And not only like Zechariah singing all the time and Mary singing and all of this, like this is why we sing so much in church, okay? So if you're like new to church and you're like, why do they sing all the time? This is weird. I don't like singing. They're not good at singing. Somebody should tell them. People up here, they're good, but the rest of them, they're not. <laughs> Somebody should tell them. Like we sing and we praise God because we, when we recognize the mercy of God and what God has done, like that's the natural response. Because God didn't have to do any of this, but he just showed mercy and he did bring salvation. And so he is worthy of praise. So praise just becomes just us pouring out like an overflow of our heart to God for his mercy. Okay, now he switches gears a little bit and he goes, from praise to God and talking directly to God to talking to his son. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Okay, so he's already talked about salvation as deliverance from their enemies so they can praise and serve God. Now he's talking about salvation as the forgiveness of sins. So now he's into, into the spiritual salvation that Christ brings his people and how he forgives us of our sins. In the Old Testament in Jeremiah 31, 34, talks about this. Jeremiah 31, 34 says, no longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. So John is picking up, or uh, Zechariah is picking up on this, that John the Baptist is going to prepare the way for the Lord, and the Lord is the one who will give his people the knowledge of salvation through forgiveness of their sins. And why is God going to do this? Very simply, uh, verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God. This is kind of like what this whole section hinges on, is it is God's tender mercy, his deep felt visceral mercy that God chose to send Jesus to give us the knowledge of salvation. No other reason. God's mercy. He didn't have to do this. What this means is you are not entitled to salvation. I am not entitled to salvation, to forgiveness of sins, to the deliverance that God brings. Nobody is. He just chose to show mercy. That changes the posture with which we relate to God when we recognize that. And so when we praise him, this is what we are praising him for, that he chose to show mercy mercy. And then he goes into this beautiful picture by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Again, because of the tender mercy of our God, Jesus comes, brings the knowledge of salvation and forgiveness of sins, 
And in doing so, he, the picture that he paints is of a dark earth, of us living in darkness and in the shadow of death and in our sin. And then Jesus is like the rising sun in the morning coming to shine on us. That's the picture that he paints of the Christ coming. Are any of you like morning people who like to get up and watch the sunrise? There's a couple. Eh, way more than the first service. This is weird. Like first service, you would think would have more morning people. <laughs> they were all still sleeping, I think. <laughs> there weren't many morning people. But I'm not at all. So I never see this. Like I, have a, I struggle to wake up in the morning, so I don't see this. But that's the image, is in the morning, the darkness, when it's super, super dark, right? And then the sun just rises up and shines light on all of the earth. That's the image that Zechariah is painting here of Jesus coming. We live in a dark world, clouded with sin, with death. We don't know where to go. But then Jesus comes and shines light into the darkness. In that last line, to guide our feet into the path of peace. The word peace that Zechariah has in mind is likely the Hebrew term shalom. I say likely, it is, right? He's, he's uh, Israelite living in the first century. It's this concept of shalom. It's much more than just absence of conflict, as we tend to think of peace. Concept of shalom, I've linked you to a Bible project video on Thursday, I think. It refers to wholeness. It refers to completeness, to everything being restored to right order. So it's much more than just absence of conflict. It's whatever was broken has been repaired and reset. And sometimes when things that are broken need to be repaired, it does kind of require a more of a disturbance of peace, right, in order to repair it. So... This path of peace that Christ has led us in leads to our relationship with God and peace with him, restoration of that. Band, you guys can come and get set up. It leads to a restoration of peace in our relationships with one another. And it leads to restoration of peace and shalom in our relationship to creation. This peace that Jesus leads us into and is guiding our feet in the path of is one of restoration, and wholeness, if we will but follow. Ultimately, leading to the new creation. So, big idea for today is praise God for what he has done in sending Jesus. Okay, I could sit up here and talk about this forever, but let's practice it. Okay, this, again, this is why we sing so much in church. Because when we think of what God has done, it is proper to praise him for that. That is the response. Give him thanks and praise and adoration for who he is and what he has done. So again, if you're not a singing person, that's cool. Just pour out your heart to God in praise, though. So whatever that looks like for you, I'd encourage you to sing. Sing. Like, I can't sing either. If you're near me, my singing's terrible. Just pour out your heart to God and just praise him. When you recognize what he has done and the mercy that he has shown you and the salvation that he has brought, we should praise. Lord, God, we love you. Be honored, be glorified in our praises now as we pour out our hearts to you for who you are and all that you have done. Jesus, you are great and you are worthy of praise. And so, Lord, we give you that praise.
from the bottom of our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer while we're singing, please head into the back and pray.
praise one more time. God, you are worthy of our praise. We thank you. you 
Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we love you. You are the one that our, our hearts adore. Sing that again, Jesus, we love Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we love you. You are the one in our, our hearts adore. Jesus, we salvation and the righteousness that is available in you. So Jesus, we trust in your righteousness, not our own. Trust in your salvation, not our own. And we praise you for who you are, for all that you have done. Because of your tender mercy, for a few moments. Just wanted to read the second part of Zechariah's prophecy one more time. Beginning in verse 76, just so it's fresh in our minds. He says, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. Will you go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. Earlier, we said we'd praise God for all that he has done in sending Jesus. And for our more practical application, I wanted to focus on that last line, purpose, praise. Jesus came to guide our feet into the path of peace. So the simple question is, are you following Jesus in the path of peace? Are you following the way of Jesus into the path of peace? Now remember this peace that he's talking about. When Zechariah says peace, he doesn't just mean absence of conflict. He means restoration to right relationship to wholeness, to completeness. And in this concept of peace, 
that often means a disturbance of the peace or conflict in order to achieve right relationship. So the first sense we think of it is peace with God. Restoring our right relationship with God. Our sin has broken our relationship with God. And so for our sin, or for us to be restored to right relationship with God, we need forgiveness. We need the righteousness of Christ. And if you remember when Jesus, in his earthly ministry, when he confronted the Pharisees and the religious leaders of his day, it was because they had a false sense and put a false burden on people's shoulders to achieve and follow the law to perfection and order to be made right with God. And Jesus created a lot of conflict <laughs> with them in order to teach the right, proper relationship to God and how we can truly be restored to him. And it's only through faith and trust in his Messiah and in his salvation. So, simple question. If we're following Jesus in the path of peace, that means we're putting our faith and trust in him for the salvation, for salvation of our soul. So is your faith and trust in Jesus? Do you have his righteousness? Or are you trusting in your own or in something else to be made right with God? It is only through Jesus, it is only through faith and trust in him that we can be made right with God. And it is out of that love for God that then we seek to live holy, pleasing lives to him. But that is not how we are made right with God. We are not made right with God by our good deeds, by our personal self-righteousness. We are made right with God solely through the work of Jesus and his gift of his righteousness to us. So we accept it, so we trust it, and we live in that peace with God, that our relationship with God can be restored through Jesus. And secondly, this concept of shalom refers to our peace that we should share with one another. The church should be a representation, a symbol, a small glimpse, a picture of what restored right relationships, what shalom looks like here on earth. This picture is a little harder to imagine over the last couple of years <laughs> than it was prior to COVID. Remember, remember, Shalom is not the absence of conflict. It is the restoration of the return to right relationship of all things. So there is a false peace. There is a false peace when there is injustice. Like that is not shalom. That's not the peace that God has called us to in his kingdom. And in those senses where there is injustice, then the peace should be disturbed in order to bring about this concept of rightness, of wholeness and completion. Think of over the last few years in the midst of all the racial tensions we've been having in our nation. I heard, uh, I kind of just wish we could go back to the early 60s and the 50s. And I realized when I heard that, that it was just based on this false sense of shalom, of peace. So go back to a time when there was injustice happening. 
in segregation and other unjust laws. But because all the tension wasn't there, life seemed easier. That's not peace. That's not the shalom that Jesus brings. And when we are following in his way, allowing him to lead us to the path of peace, we care about restoring what is broken, returning to right relationship that which is distorted. So I'm not going to go into all of the ways that we should do this as a church. This is a big concept. We'll talk about it more in our next campaign when we talk about our church relationships with one another. But just want to simply ask the question, does your heart desire this? Shalom. Or do you have this false concept of peace is just absence of conflict? Or do you truly desire right relationship for that which is wrong to be made right? For our relationships to be one of wholeness and completeness. So simply, is your heart more hardened with all the bad news and with all the conflict and all the tension that we tend to experience around us, is your heart more hardened with hate and anger or pride and selfishness? Or in the midst of even that, do you find your heart softened with love, empathy, mercy, hope, and grace? When you hear of injustices, when you hear of exploitation or abuse, where does your heart go? Is your, heart, is your heart broken by the evil of this world, longing for the true shalom and peace of Christ to return to relationships being made whole? Or do you steep deeper into pride and selfishness and hate and anger? I invite you to just, let's just sit and reflect on that for just a moment. Over the last couple of years, your own family relationships, when you hear of brokenness, is your heart softened to it? Do you truly desire this shalom, this restoration of all things into right relationship? Or are we too concerned with just avoiding conflict? Just sit with that for a moment and reflect on the condition of your heart. Is it filled with love, empathy, mercy, hope, and grace, or hate, anger, pride?
text says again that Jesus came to guide us into the path of peace. If we find in our hearts that we're following, that we're desiring, not the shalom that Jesus came to bring, that means we are following another path. That we are following somebody or something else, not Jesus. Because the way of Jesus, being a Christian, a follower of him, it doesn't simply mean saying a prayer at one point in your life and then living however you want. It's a wholesale acceptance of the way of Jesus. That what Jesus said and did is how we should speak and how we should live. That we should follow his example in life. And Jesus modeled this perfectly. Coming to restore that which is broken in our world. And so as his followers, it should be our heart's cry to restore our broken world. To point our broken world to the light of Jesus. Like the sun rising over a dark earth. That's Jesus. We have good news. Let's think on that. Set our minds on the good news of Jesus. Let's share the good news of Jesus. Especially this Christmas season. Where the news can be so dark. <laughs> We can feel overwhelmed by that. We can't control a lot of things <laughs> that happen in the world, but we can control what we think about. We can think about the good news of Jesus, the light shining in the darkness, shining into the darkness of our soul. And we can pursue peace, the concept of shalom. I was thinking on this sermon this week and meditating, praying on the text. And I was listening to some Christmas carols with the kids one morning as we were, as I was making breakfast. And one of the songs that came on was Oh Holy Night. And as I was thinking about this, with this fresh in my mind, the themes of this song, I, I think the author had this text in mind as he was writing this song because the themes are exactly the same as Zechariah's prophecy. So I came in this morning and I asked the band if they'd be willing to sing it. And by their grace, they said yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that speaks a lot to their skill and ability to just be able to sing. <laughs> so, thanks, guys. So we're going to stand and sing this. And I invite you, as we're singing it, don't just think of this as the song that you've sung a hundred times, and this cute little Christmas carol that gives you the warm and fuzzies of Christmas season. But really think of the lyrics of this song because they're profound. He paints this picture for us of light into darkness and calls us to walking in the path of shalom like Jesus does. So would you guys stand and let's sing a little bit of O Holy Night together.
God, for sending Jesus. Thank you that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we have new life. God, help us our weeks now as we go from here to be um, a life of praise. God, that the praise wouldn't stop in this building, Lord, but our lives would be praised to you, to the wonder, God, of who you are. Praise of Jesus. Because we love you and because you are worthy of our praise. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much for being here with us today. We hope you have a wonderful week.